This episode is brought to you by DNA Fit, providers of state-of-the-art genetic testing. Their services build a roadmap for your individualized health, fitness, and lifestyle goals by testing the genetic markers that make you unique. As a podcast listener, you get 30% off by going to dnafit.com and using the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout. Also brought to you by Primal Mayo. Made with pure avocado oil, organic cage-free eggs, rosemary extract, vinegar derived from non-GMO beets, and a dash of salt, you can turn any traditional dish into a superfood with just one serving. Healthy mayo, who knew? Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, Aging supplement available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I am here today with Hannah Crum, who is the Kombucha Mama, founder of Kombucha Camp, which is K O M B U C H A K A M P.com. Kombucha Camp is the most visited website in the world for kombucha information, recipes, and advice. And Kombucha Camp's mission is to change the world one gut at a time. Welcome, Hannah. How are you? I'm great, Elle. How are you doing? Good. So kombucha has been such a popular drink over the past uh, five, ten years, particularly now. There are so many different variations of companies that are producing it, etc., Tell us a little bit first about how you even got involved in drinking kombucha and, and making it, etc. Absolutely. Well, I've been making kombucha for over a decade, and I first discovered it in my college friend's San Francisco apartment, very appropriate. Um, they were brewing it. I had no idea what it was, never tried it. We didn't even we didn't even taste theirs because it wasn't ready, but it was this box with jars and they were covered with towels and they were very mysterious. So that's the kombucha. So when I got back to Los Angeles, uh, it was already at all the Whole Foods by 2003. So I grabbed a bottle off the shelf, popped it open, and it was like the heavens opened up, the beam of light came down. It was my kombucha kismet moment. It was like, oh, and uh, the angels were heard singing. So in that moment, I was like, wow, this stuff is really good. Now, for a lot of people, when they first try it, and maybe this was your experience too, Elle, is that um, it gives them kombucha face or like it's real tangy at first. And so they might think, oh, this, this kind of tastes vinegary or weird. But for me, I really love that flavor because I always kind of snuck the pickle juice out of the pickle jar. Even me though too. My mom yelled at me. Oh, see, there you go. I love, I love the flavor of kombucha. So you are talking to someone who actually loves the flavor, but I do know people that are like, uh, vinegary or too tart. And so there, it's a strong, it's not for everybody. Well, and it's like all the good things in life, it's an acquired taste, which means you need to try it again and again so that your palate can get used to that different type of flavor profile. And like you mentioned earlier, there's so many different types and flavors out there these days that even if you don't like one particular flavor or brand, I guarantee if you try another one, you'll probably find the flavor that works for you. 
So for people out there who have not really ventured into kombucha or are curious about it, give us a snapshot of what is kombucha. Uh, kombucha is simply fermented tea or cultured tea. So just like we take milk and culture it into yogurt, we take tea and sugar and culture it into kombucha. Um, in yogurt, we're just taking like a piece of the culture from before. Whereas with kombucha, we have a culture that's called a SCOBY. That's an acronym for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. And this SCOBY is like the mothership. So there's layers of bacteria and yeast cells that have all built together into a dense pellicle. It's kind of got a firm yet slick touch. And I think, did you mention that you make kombucha, L? Is that right? I do. I actually, well, I gave it up for the next couple of months because I'm going to be away from home and I wanted to start fresh. But I do, and it is almost like having a little pet in, in a way. Um, it's so interesting that it's this like living, breathing thing, and it feels almost like a sea creature, like a manta ray or something like that. And no matter how small you cut it down, it continues to grow and expand. And it's really an interesting process to see. It's fascinating. And all of that cellulose, because that's what the pellicle is made of, is being generated by the bacteria. So they literally throw out these nanofibers of cellulose. So just like, like a silkworm would throw out silk. And then these gradually fuse together. And that's what creates that pellicle. So at first, when you first see the SCOBY forming, it's just like a few dots or a little bit of a light skin. But over time, that thickens up. And it's really, it's really neat to watch how that forms. And it is kind of like having a pet that then also benefits you. Yeah, it's interesting too because kombucha is pretty expensive out there. I mean, the cheapest you can get it for on sale might be $2.99 a bottle. So there's such a, I mean, making it at home is ideal, especially if you're a regular kombucha drinker. But let's talk a little bit about the benefits of kombucha um, and the health benefits involved. I mean, obviously it's a fermented food, so we're introducing good bacteria into the gut and that's great, but let's talk about some of the other benefits that are touted with kombucha. Absolutely. So the biggest benefit that most people will mention right away is digestion because our gut is the engine of our entire body. If things aren't going right there, if you don't have the right amount of acid in your stomach, or if you don't have enough of those bacteria to help you break down food, things can get gummed up. And when the works are gummed up, you sure don't feel good. So drinking kombucha is something that instantly gets the right pH into the gut so that you're digesting and breaking down foods as you should. Also has that healthy bacteria in there and the yeast that give you that nutrition. So um, the other benefit is the yeast contain all of the B vitamins in trace amounts. So we're not talking about massive RDA quantities per se, but they're in that living form. And when your body absorbs nutrition in a form it's evolved to recognize over millions of years, you know what? It uses that right away. And so another comment that we frequently feel, hear from kombucha consumers is, it just makes me feel good. And when we think about the B vitamins and the role that they play in terms of mood and serotonin and all that, it makes a lot of sense why that helps you feel good. It also contains healthy acids such as gluconic and glucuronic acid, both of which reduce the toxic load on the liver. So the liver is where we process external toxicants as well as internal um, bile salts and things like that. So alcohol, pharmaceutical drugs, any kind of environmental toxin that we might be absorbing is going to be processed by the liver. Now, when we drink kombucha, what that does is it boosts the liver's ability to deal with those toxins, um, specifically with glucuronic acid. When it comes into contact with xenobiotics or any of these external toxicants, it bonds to that 
intoxicant. And once that bond is created, it can't be broken. And this is why it's important that we drink water with kombucha because that helps us to then flush those toxins through our urine and through our normal processes of elimination. So we've got digestion, we've got energy, we've got uh, helpful for the liver. The other side benefit of it being good for the liver is they make terrific kombucha cocktails. So it's like having a little bit of antidote with your poison. And a lot of people find that they don't have the same type of hangover or issues like that if they're also mixing in kombucha, either in a cocktail or in between cocktails. So that's that's a terrific benefit of kombucha as well. Let's talk about the yeast factor because I'm sure people are going to be wondering, well, what about candida sufferers or is yeast something I really want to consume? So what would you say to that? Sure. Well, I'd say not all yeast are the same, uh, just like not all bacteria are the same. And the yeasts that are present in kombucha actually help to quell um, candida overgrowth. And there are other elements of kombucha, such as caprylic acid, um, uh, phenylethyl alcohol, some other trace elements that are also beneficial and are specifically candida sides. Now, the thing about it, if you're making it at home, though, because if your body's already overrun with candida, it's going to crave sugar. You might think, oh, well, this is ready after seven days. In fact, you probably want to let it go another seven days or 14 days for a one-gallon batch because we want to allow more of that sugar to be converted, consumed, turned into the healthy acids. So you're reducing the amount of sugar you're consuming and increasing the benefit of the kombucha in your system. And the same is true for diabetics. And what we found is that, um, not we personally, but uh, there are research papers out there that show kombucha actually helps with diabetes because it lowers the glycemic load through that fermentation process of those sugars. So, for instance, when you're looking at the back of a kombucha bottle and you're reading the sugar grams, I'll just say you're focusing on the wrong thing, for one. Um, the sugar's not for you. Uh, and what I mean by that is the sugars are already fermented. So sugar is sucrose which is made up of both glucose and fructose. And the very first thing that the fermentation process does is it breaks that bond and it breaks it into those component elements, which are then utilized by both the bacteria and yeast to create the, the healthy byproducts that we then consume. So it's not the same equivalency if you see eight grams of sugar on a bottle to eight grams of table sugar because it's pre-digested, it's already fermented, and it's much easier for your body to process and doesn't create that same negative impact. And in general, kombucha has essentially somewhat low levels of sugar on the back of the label anyway. They aren't too frightening. It depends on what flavor you get based on what fruit they might use. But for the most part, I've never really seen anything over 12. For, yeah. Right. So it's not too bad um, for a whole bottle. Um, <clears throat> let me ask you about, so let's talk about the sugar for a second, because, you know, you take about one gallon of water or uh, one gallon of tea to uh, one, cup. one cup of sugar. And so people right away are like, whoa. That's heavy sugar, but the sugar is really the food for the SCOBY, and it's going to be reduced and reduced over the fermentation process, so it's nothing to be scary about. And at first, that sugar tea tastes like something from right out of the South. Right? <laughs> Worse than that. <laughs> it does, yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're right about that. The sugar is not for you. It is to feed the, the bacteria. And in fact, that's sugar is fuel for everything. And I think it's easy in our current day and age to be like, all this is bad. All this is good. You know, and then we kind of flip-flop our ideas after a few years. And so I think the real key and, and always what we try to help people understand is that it's about balance. Um, you know, it's, it's balance and consider the source. So where is that sugar coming from? Is this a high fructose corn syrup, chemical, chemicalized derivative that's inserted into processed foods? Or is this a natural sugar source that is then fermented through that process? So these are very different types of sugar that we're even talking about. 
And then you're consuming it in different quantities as well. So um, when you when you keep that in mind, it's like, okay, well, let's get rid of the sugar that isn't um, natural and doesn't support my body, but let's keep some of the sugar that helps, you know, trigger my pleasure centers, but also satisfies my desire for that, as well as um, doesn't have that same negative impact on the body. Now, what? let's talk about, there's a, a very minimal alcohol content that results after this fermentation process. So sometimes at the stores now, you have to actually show your ID to check out with kombucha, and it may be very little amount of alcohol. I think, I think it was said that you'd have to drink like 16 six-ounce cups of kombucha to get the same amount of alcohol in one beer. However, there, there is that little element, though, that might not make kombucha the best choice for someone who is a recovering alcoholic. Absolutely. And uh, I'm glad you brought this topic up because it is something that people are not fully cognizant of. And trace amounts of alcohol are produced by any fermentation process. So, I mean, of course, when you think alcohol and fermentation, you think beer and wine, and those have much higher levels of alcohol. But all ferments, even your kvass, your kefirs, your kombuchas, all of them, your ginger bugs, will have trace amounts of alcohol. And in fact, historically, we're in an anomalous time period wherein people are not consuming healthy, what we call healthy low alcohol. And it's, um, it, here's what I want to say is that, you know, similar to like when you have coffee, and the caffeine isn't balanced by anything, and so you experience a really hard crash, whereas when you drink tea, there's L-theanine present, and that balances the caffeine, and you don't experience it in the same negative way. Well, the same is true with these traditional fermented drinks. Um, you know, people couldn't drink the water because of bacteria present in it, so they had to ferment it into something that would be beneficial for them. And so consuming these small trace amounts of alcohol with the full complement of yeast with those B vitamins present just like tea doesn't have that same negative effect, it reduces the negative impact of the alcohol that you're potentially consuming. Now, we have a very skewed perspective of alcohol here in the United States as a result of prohibition, where we think of it as a controlled substance, and this is why we end up with abuse problems. Um, the other reason I would say is because most of the alcohol we consume does not contain the nutritional elements that humans have evolved to seek from alcohol and what they're looking for. And to speak directly to the idea that uh, alcoholics can or cannot drink kombucha, in fact, many have found that drinking kombucha helps to curb their alcohol cravings. And one of the things that I noticed when I first started drinking it is it definitely reduced my desire to have that nightly glass of wine or four glasses of wine. It, it certainly reduced it down to either zero or only one once in a while. So, and th in fact, there's many studies that are now showing it's about the the diversity in the gut, that that's what helps to balance out those cravings. And again, humans evolved to crave yeast, to crave the nutrition that's present in it. And how did they know that was there? Because of the carbonation. So we are literally hardwired to seek out carbonation because it represents so much nutrition in a living form. And when we give ourselves that nutrition in the living form, again, we're, we're more balanced, we have less stress, we have the nutrition we're looking for. And even if there's trace amounts of alcohol in that, it serves a specific function. It's a preservative and it's also medicinal in that it thins the blood and allows for easier absorption of the nutrition. And in kombucha specifically, it also, because it's an, a vinegar and an alcohol sort of, and by alcohol, I do not mean anything that is uh, high in quantity at all. Um, this issue is so interesting and um, can create confusion. So I try to be 
clear about it. So the trace amounts of alcohol that are potentially present in kombucha, let's just say they're anywhere from point, um, point 0.2 up to point 0.8 in an unfermented kombucha, and it can get up to uh, 1.5%. And this is in a traditional homebrew setting. Now, the commercial kombuchas that you're seeing out there, uh, there was a reformulation that occurred after 2010. And so all of the brands that are now being sold as under 21 are in compliance, and they do have less than 0.5% alcohol, which is the current legal limit. Now, that legal limit isn't tied to either human experience or science. It was an arbitrary number decided after prohibition. And so what ends up happening is kombucha ends up in this weird gray space where, um, you know, the over 21 brands are really at like one and a half percent, two percent, if that, the ones where you have to get carded. So it's really this still this very nominal amount of alcohol that's not even going to uh, cause an effect for most people. Now, of course, just like with any food, there's going to be people who are more sensitive to it. Moreover, People aren't accustomed to consuming that, that B vitamin nutrition in a living form. And many have reported that getting B vitamin shots, you feel the same type of gentle kind of mild buzz as you get from kombucha as well. So um, all of that is to say, trust your gut. Um, you, your body knows what you need. You know what you're comfortable consuming. And if you start drinking kombucha and you find it's like, oh, it's also making me crave alcohol, then of course, don't drink any more kombucha. But if you drink it and you find, hey, in fact, this helps me keep my, curb- my cravings in check, this curbs my cravings, then by all means, enjoy it and don't feel like you're doing something that's inappropriate. So it's really listening to the biofeedback that your own specific body is giving you as to whether it's an appropriate choice or not. And this applies to pregnant and nursing women as well, as well as children. Um, We get this question all the time, you know, oh, am I allowed to? Can I have it? You know, what are the rules around that? Just like any uh, fermented food, these were our sacred traditional foods. These were the the nutritional foods that people consumed in order to uh, increase the body's uh, nutritional and ability to function properly. So, um, again, listen to your body. I've had friends who were pregnant. They loved kombucha before. They started drinking it while they were pregnant, and they couldn't stand the smell. All right, don't drink it. It's not for you at that time. Your body's giving you a very strong signal. Listen to it. Uh, Whereas I've had other people tell me they drank it all through their pregnancy. It helped them release their milk during uh, when they were nursing. They give it to their children and they enjoy it. So again, it's just listening and observing and balance. Hi, it's Brad Kearns to tell you about our podcast partner, DNAfit.com. They offer cutting-edge personal genetic testing, which you can sign up for, deliver a swab through the mail, and you will receive, over the email, a detailed printout and description of all the genetic particulars relating to your dietary and fitness recommendations and inclinations based on your genetic makeup. It's very valuable information. I found some incredibly revealing details in my report, for example, that I was uh, more oriented toward power and strength rather than endurance, which was my lifelong background. So this type of information with a plenty of support and scientific validation will help you optimize your diet and exercise patterns. Check out dnafit.com and take advantage of their 30% discount on their comprehensive package just for listening to the podcast. Enter the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at dnafit.com. Why do you think kombucha is so popular now? I mean, other than the introduction of probiotics to our society and how many reports have been out there that it's beneficial to have probiotics. So I get that aspect to it. Do you think there's any other 
reasons out there as to why it's become so huge? Uh, we need it. Our, our planet is so toxic. Our food supply is so toxic. The chemicals that they're putting in the beauty products and the, you know, there's just environmental toxins are, are literally overwhelming our immune systems. And because we've been over consuming a processed foods diet that lacks the nutrition our bodies actually need, our immune systems are incredibly weak. You add to that the overprescription of antibiotics and, and, you know, people's immune systems are clinging on to anything that they can find. And so kombucha, I feel like is coming in to its own right now because we need it. Um, there are other research papers out there showing, you know, when you uh, are, ex- they would expose rats to radiation and the rats that were given kombucha along with the radiation showed lower uh, amounts of cells being mutated by the radiation. And in fact, it showed that the kombucha helped support the body to remain normal Whereas the radiation in the rats that didn't consume the kombucha ended up being aberrant and created mutations. So I'm not saying drink a bunch of kombucha and hang out in front of an x-ray machine or anything, but (laughs) by the same token, um, you know, and this was demonstrated with radiation. It was demonstrated with other environmental toxins. So clearly kombucha is here to help people feel good, get back into balance, get rid of the gunk in their body so that they can stop being sick all the time. They can re-engage with their community and take uh, the healing that they've discovered through this journey and share it with others. Now, let's talk about the other side of the coin because there are some pretty top respected health professionals that have stated that incidents of lactic acidosis Uh, a condition where the blood becomes acidic due to too much lactic acid in the body. Uh, Kidney failure and serious liver dysfunction have been reported due to kombucha tea consumption. So what would you say to that? Sure. So we are aware of all of the instances that have been held up by, you know, a variety of medical institutions as a reason why you shouldn't make kombucha or do do this yourself. And uh, first of all, the number of instances is so low, you could count it on, you know, two hands. There's probably 10 or less um, of these instances. And more often than not, it's a misattribution where because they don't understand what's happening with the person, they don't know what the cause is, and this is something that's weird, they go, oh, well, it must have been the kombucha. For instance, there were two women in Iowa in 95 who supposedly, um, you know, had ill effects as a result of drinking kombucha, but when those samples were tested, nothing was found as being a result of the kombucha. And um, we've done some extensive research on that and have found, in fact, she probably had another condition that wasn't readily diagnosed at that time, that if you go back and look at the pieces, you'd see, in fact, it had nothing to do with kombucha. She had a perforated bowel and she already had sepsis and, you know, there was a lot of other things going on. And there was another case where here uh, in LA, uh, like a young kid who had, who has AIDS, went and drank a bunch of kombucha and had a reaction as a result of that. I mean, that is to say anyone who's severely immunocompromised, you need to start consuming any food with caution when you add it into your diet like that, because your immune system can't necessarily handle your body starting to release toxins back into the system. So um, with any kind of food, you just want to start slowly and see how your body responds to that. But in terms of track record, I think if we look at the pharmaceutical industry, kombucha with its hundreds, if not thousands of years of existence, it's over 150 years of being studied all around the world with the numerous amount of doctors and and pharmacists uh, in, in again, countries all over the world who have said this stuff is terrific. We may not totally understand it, but for the most part, we see health benefits and improvements when people start consuming it. You know, as much as 
current science thought wants to dispel the notion that um, anecdotal evidence doesn't have a place, I think it's really important that we examine the experience that humans have had over time with this product and see that the names for it in other languages, magical mushroom, healing elixir, life, you know, longevity mushroom. So clearly people traditionally have highly exalted this product because they recognize and, and that it does have a nutritional benefit. Um, now we're in an age where we have more tools available to us. And what I'm really excited about is more people starting to study kombucha so that we can understand the underlying mechanisms. And I'll tell you right off the bat, a lot of them are, it's made with tea. Tea is already a well-studied product. It's incredibly healthy for us. Uh, it has high antioxidants and has been shown to also ha have chemopreventative properties. So when you magnify all of that nutritional value through the fermentation process, it makes little wonder why adding a little bit of kombucha to your life is probably a good thing. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So how? Okay, so I, I actually really like kombucha, and there's been times when you know, in one day, I might have drinking a couple of bottles, which might not be good on the, on some level, maybe, may not be harmful. I mean, how much is too much? Uh, what's a, I mean, are you drinking one glass every day? I mean, what, you know, let's talk about how much is sure. too much or if there's no such thing. Well, I, do you ever ask yourself, have I eaten too much sauerkraut? Have I eaten too much <laughs> yogurt? Am I eating too many eggs? It's a food just like everything else. Right? And, uh, you know, if you eat overconsume any of those things, you'll be in the bathroom <laughs> as a result of <laughs> overconsumption. So again, it's balance. It's listening to your body. Uh, there's a lot of fear around it just because it's an unknown, but really it's like yogurt. It's a, it's a probiotic food. And, um, you know, we just have to, again, listen to the feedback that it's giving our body. So we recommend people start with, you know, four to eight ounces. That's half a cup to a cup. First thing in the morning on an empty stomach. That allows you to feel how the kombucha is working in your system. And at least one of the things that I observe when I do that is at a certain point, like maybe five or 10 minutes into drinking the kombucha, I can feel my internal organs relax. And when we look at the, the root causes for disease, they're diet and stress. And so if kombucha is able to alleviate that stress in those very small ways, that's another way in which it's boosting your immune system. So, um, so yeah, it's starting small, listening to your body. And some people, when they first start drinking it, crave it a lot and they get afraid of that craving. But probably what's happening is your body is trying to readjust from something. And so again, it's listening to those cravings. And then when they ebb, let it go. And I don't necessarily have a glass of kombucha every single day. I have it when I, when I, when I feel the craving for it. And then sometimes if I go a few days, I start to notice, man, I'm not feeling really great at all. And that's when I'm like, I got to get a booch. So um, <laughs> again, it's just listening to your body. So you help so many people figure this out at home. You not only sell like a starter kit with SCOBYs that, that people can, and you sell actually the receptacles, but you know, by which you can brew it and, and drain it, tap it. Um, tell us a little bit more about Kombucha Camp. Sure. So um, Kombucha Camp was started in 2004 to teach people about kombucha. I just fell in love with it and wanted to share that with other people. So it started as a class in my home. In 2007, I took that information online and it was strictly to educate people. And it was out of people's desire and curiosity for cultures and stuff that it became 
I, I became aware that, hey, there's, you know, people want more than just information. They also want quality supplies and and products. And so we all we carry continuous brew products that help you make it continuously at home. We have several different vessel choices, barrel, um, custom-made vessel. We also have other cultures such as kefir grains, milk kefir, water kefir, and a new a new to the fermentation scene culture, Jun, which is a green tea raw honey ferment. For those of you out there who are who want to try something a little different, who have a good raw honey source. Um, it's uniquely adapted to work with the bacteria present in the honey, and it makes a really delicate floral um, beverage that's quite delicious. So um, at Kombucha Camp also not only helps home brewers, but we consult for companies. So we've, we've consulted for different companies, provided cultures for different companies at all levels, whether that's from startup or if you desire to expand. And then we co-founded in 2014 Kombucha Brewers International, which is a nonprofit trade association designed to promote and protect bottled kombucha around the world. We have over 70 members, including probably every major brand you've seen on the shelves. And together, what we're doing is trying to educate not just the consumer, but the retailer, the distributor. You know, there are certain ways in which we need to deal with our product because it's different from everything else out there. This isn't just a flavored syrup in a carbonated water. This is a real fermentation process. This is like craft beer. This is like wine in that you can have 20 types of Pinot Noir or, you know, 15 types of Hefeweizen all sitting next to each other. They all have their unique and distinctive qualities. Kombucha is like that. And that's why you see a higher price tag on it. Um, but, you know, as more and more people get into kombucha, I think we'll see, you know, our market diversify. We're going to see a lot of creativity. And I think we're also going to see other ferments starting to poke their heads up and uh, maybe combinations of ferments. So like a kefir kombucha or, um, you know, a, a kombucha kvass or something like that where people are going to start to get really creative with these because honestly l this is what we came from we need bacteria bacteria is how this planet runs and if all we're doing is engaging in germ warfare where we're killing off not only the supposed pathogenic bacteria but the ones that are actually our defense mechanism it's no wonder our immune systems are are in crisis and um you know so it's about dispelling, coming back into our original state, which was that of consuming fermented foods on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I swear by probiotic ingestion because I never get sick. And the people that I know that take probiotics regularly or eat fermented food regularly do not get sick either. And it's just made such a difference in my life. So I really don't like to go too many days without consuming probiotics. Well, and I'll say this, you know, there's probiotic pills and that can be great in a pinch, but really it's getting them in the living form from your foods because that's what humans evolved to need. And um, I don't know if you're at Paleo Effects, but Terry Walls gave a really terrific talk about who, what are we feeding? And if we look into our guts, what we're feeding are the bacteria. So they don't need massive doses of vitamin A or massive doses of this or that. They need trace quality amounts. And that's what you get in your fermented foods, trace quality amounts. That's great. So let's talk a little bit more too. So if I wanted to start kombucha at home, I would just go to kombuchacamp.com and those are two Ks, kombucha and then K-A-M-P.com. And I can like buy a starter kit and everything through you, right? And just get myself Absolutely. set up. 
Great question. So uh, our the name of our game is customer support, and I think you'll see our reviews reflect that. Uh, not only do we give you the best quality products, but also the best quality service. And so um, because we're a small company, I do the phone orders. So if you want to call, you've got questions about the products, and you want to place an order by phone, want more of that personal guided touch, I'm here to help you with that. Uh, and then we do all of our, we reply to all of our questions through email. The benefit to that is we're often sending you links to our website where there's articles with more details or you then now have a written record of the information and then I'm not tied up on the phone answering questions all day but we do answer every single email that comes to us and um, if you're a customer we usually answer within one business day or less so we are very committed to dispelling the fear you know helping people feel confident that first of all they can do this and second of all that it's really not that hard or scary i mean think about it if this culture has been around for 200 or 2000 years that means people have literally been handing it around in who knows what kind of conditions for that amount of time right dirty and, hands you right. know transferring it back in the day and it was still okay actually it is kind of scary i mean i'll admit my friend gave me part of her SCOBY starter to, to do it. And it is a little bit kind of freaky at first. And I'm not <laughs> sensitive to those things, but you are almost like, should I be doing this? Is this something, <laughs> is this right? And then I, you know, I made a couple of mistakes. Like the first batch was way over sugared or the not enough tea. And so there's definitely like, I felt like I had to toss out a couple of first batches in order to get it right. And I'm sure that that's probably normal for a lot of people. Normal and okay. And I think, you know, again, we have this mentality in our country that like, if it doesn't come out perfect the first time, then I'm giving up. And yep. really it's, um, it's that failing forward. It's uh, learning from, you know, how we failed that allows us to improve this process. But again, it's like any food, like if we believed, you know, the hysteria around food preparation, we'd never cook at home, right? So we have to, at some point, trust our, our instincts that, you know, there's a reason we have our five senses. And, you know, the only thing to worry about is mold. And everyone knows what mold looks like because they've seen it on bread. They've seen it on fruit. Right. Um, it's going to be it's, fuzzy. <laughs> and on top, it's never underneath the liquid. So the stuff that you see floating in the liquid, those are the yeast globs. I like to call them brains because they kind of coagulate and look all brainy under there. Um, so anything that you see in the liquid is not going to be mold. But if you see something on top of the surface and it's fuzzy, but again, mold, just like you, sometimes on a piece of bread, you just tear that off and eat it anyways or you know you cut off that part of the fruit and still consume it with kombucha we don't recommend that again weaken immune systems you don't know what kind of mold it is it's best just to toss that and then start a new batch from your scoby hotel and the scoby hotel is just cultures hanging out in liquid um the cellulose pellicles very sturdy and unlike kefir grains they'll just hang out in stasis provided you have them in in liquid and out of the fridge do not put them in the fridge um but again, it's like it's trusting that you know when you're going to come up against something that's potentially harmful to you um, by using your intelligence and also acknowledging that this is a food. It's a healthy food, just like any other food. Why are some kombucha bottles on the shelf and not refrigerated and some refrigerated? Because in my experience, at least from what I know, is that at some point, at least if you do the double fermentation, um, then you eventually cap it in like to bottles and you put it in your fridge to stop and halt the fermentation process. And so there are a lot of, when you go to the store, refrigerated sections for kombucha, but then there are some that are on the shelf. So can you talk about that difference, that nuance? Yeah, the ones on the shelves are pasteurized. 
um, and this is why beer is shelf stable and wine is shelf stable. So they end up pasteurizing, whether that's through chemicals or heat, in order to stop the fermentation process. So that helps control the quality of the flavor. But what you end up missing out on is those, you know, the yeast in a living form, the bacteria that are there to help your body digest. And again, I would wonder that this is probably why we have, you know, quote unquote problems with alcohol in our society is we're not getting that nutrition that we're looking for. Now, if you're drinking biodynamic wines or unfiltered beers, you are getting that and you're probably enjoying those a little bit more because your body's getting not only the 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 pleasant buzz but also the nutrition that helps balance all that out. So um, is it automatically a better kombucha per se for all of the health benefits we're talking about if you do get a refrigerated version? Well, I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. You know, the the pasteurized kombuchas, as far as we know, still have the healthy acids. So there is a nutritional benefit and it's going to be better than a soda any day of the week. Um, but for most people, and I think this is why even the pasteurized kombuchas are now offering raw versions of the product, is because consumers vibrate. They resonate with the living beverage and, um, you know, it's on this very subtle level, but people really... They're so passionate about kombucha, they get really excited. And honestly, it really is the real thing. I mean, again, if we think about that these fermented sodas is what we'd originally drank, and now you look at the sodas they try to sell us, they have to pimp us poison in pretty packages because if they don't, you know, personalize it and put your name on it or, you know, make it a real sexy commercial about it, why would you be drinking brown chemical goop that has no nutritional value and is loaded full of artificial sweeteners that can have a negative effect on your body, right? Like you have to be tricked into drinking. Yeah, but if someone's drinking it in a bikini, then all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or they're a celebrity. It must be terrific, you know, and, um, and, but that's why they have to spend so much on that advertising. They have to sell you on the idea of their product. Whereas with kombucha, you see very little advertising. Yet people love it. They go, they go nuts for it because it really does deliver on what it is we're expecting out of a fermented beverage. And for someone like me, I, I've never been a big alcohol consumer or fan necessarily, but it's kind of nice to have a little like kombucha cocktail. It's sort of like if people are having a drink and I have a kombucha, it's kind of fun. It feels like a mocktail almost, you know what I mean? And it's just like, for me, that's sort of how I, I use it. Sometimes. Absolutely. And, you know, if you go to our YouTube channel, there's, uh, there's a clip of me on the San Diego News making kombucha cocktails. But, um, but this is where we think the future of kombucha is, is it's in the bars, it's in the restaurants, it's for people who are the designated driver or the people who don't want to get so drunk or they want to space it out. And so having a flavorful, complex beverage that has, you know, all kinds of texture and and play to it is is way more satisfying than just a Shirley Temple or, you know, a a plain juice or or whatever, you know. So it really, there's so much creativity we can do with kombucha. We're excited to see how it continues to grow as uh, as more and more people find out about it. I've seen some really interesting flavors out there. I had a beet kombucha recently and a carrot one that was interesting. What are some of your top like flavors as of late that you're kind of into? Oh my gosh. So I think I'm the original um, bacon kombucha maker. So. <gasps> you make bacon flavored kombucha? <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. I, I need to, like, come over immediately. <laughs> Portinis is what we call them. Portinis or oh. dirty, dirty piggy. Um, you know, That's so. amazing. I never even heard of that. That's so unique. I can't even believe it. No, it's a lot of fun. But here's, again, think about it. It's a little vinegar. And so it really goes well with savory flavors. We love, like, the beet, the carrot. 
carrot, the cucumber. And so, you know, use your imagination. This is really where a lot of fun and play comes into it. I go out into my garden. I pick fresh herbs. I go to the farmer's market. I try to find interesting things. I mean, you can literally have an infinite number of varieties to, to make. And here's the great news is our book is coming out February of 2016, over 400 pages, all about kombucha, 275 flavoring recipes, 50 cocktail recipes. So we really give you a lot of this great, um, exciting kombucha information in our book that's coming out in next February. What is your book called? Uh, well, uh, we're still figuring that out. I, I call it the kombucha book because I think that just clearly and succinctly uh, says what it is. It might be the big book of kombucha. We'll, we'll just have to see. All right. We'll stay, we'll stay uh, posted on your website to check out when the release of the book will be. And for everybody who's interested in making their own kombucha at home or learning more about it, you can go to kombuchacamp.com. That's K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-K-A-M-P.com. Hannah, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Well, cheers to your health, Elle. Thanks, Hannah. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, this is Mark Sisson from Mark's Daily Apple. At my blog, I talk a lot about healthy eating and why what tastes good should also be good for you. That's why I created Primal Kitchen Mayo, the first avocado oil-based mayonnaise that contains only the most nutrient-dense, all-natural ingredients. With avocado oil, organic cage-free eggs, vinegar derived from non-GMO beets, and a dash of salt, you can use Primal Kitchen Mayo with reckless abandon. While supplies last, if you go to primalblueprint.com and enter free book at checkout, you'll receive a free copy of my famous Healthy Sauces, Dressings, and Toppings cookbook, along with your purchase of any three-pack of Primal Kitchen Mayo. Healthy Mayo? Hey, who knew? Who knew?